Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. Today, we're going to talk with the guy. He's a great guy. Shotgun Spratling. He does great work for uscfootball.com covering the team. He covers USC recruiting, and he covers USC basketball more than, than you ever wanted to know about USC basketball. So we're going to talk about that and a bunch of other topics today with uh, Shotgun. Follow him on Twitter at ShotgunSPR. What is up, Shotgun? How you doing? Hanging in there, just enjoying the fact that it's nice and sunny outside, no longer raining like it was on Saturday when I was absolutely drenched on the sideline while taking photos. So back to being normal Southern California. We got some sunshine in November, and it, it feels great outside of it. It is. It's really nice. And, uh, it's, you know, I kind of like being in a game where I'm seeing my buddy shotgun with a backwards baseball cap and wearing a tie and then soaking wet from the rain. That's just kind of a cool thing. You know, it's, you don't get to see that every day. Yeah. And hopefully we don't see that too often because, uh, <laughs> trying to stay healthy over here and not get pneumonia from, from running around the rain. So a lot of different topics today. There were still, we, uh, we've done a lot of podcasts this week. We had Harvey Hyde on. We've had Gerard Martinez on talking recruiting. We had Dan Weber on. I did a Pac-12 podcast with David Woods. And then we still had, I still had a whole bunch of questions. Um, and we've been wanting to talk to you for a while and it just hasn't worked out. So I'm glad we were able to do that today, Shotgun. Uh, but the big thing, I guess that maybe I'll start with this. The big question is about which bowl game, uh, USC is going to end up in. Get your thoughts on that. Where, where do you think USC ends up bowling? Um, I think I think it's going to be uh, the Alamo Bowl. I mean, everybody's hoping for the Rose Bowl, and and you know if if Colorado and Washington turns out the right way, then maybe that happens. But I think that what makes it so interesting this week is the fact that they bumped up Colorado that one extra spot in the college football playoffs. So now that there are two teams in between USC, and even though they're playing each other, and you assume that if Colorado loses. Uh, you know, they'll drop below the winner of the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game, and you think the loser of that Oklahoma, you know, the Bedlam game will fall behind USC. So then you have Colorado and USC side by side. So it makes it really interesting, though, with that, will USC jump above Colorado because, you know, they beat them head-to-head and both teams have three losses? Or will Colorado, you know, slip behind you? Uh, will Colorado stay ahead of USC and not be punished because, uh, playing a championship game and, and then getting their extra loss from that, you know, it, it makes it much more interesting because they were bumped up that one spot. Because last week I was thinking, all right, you know, regardless of how the game goes, Colorado loses, USC bumps up, and they'll take that Rose Bowl spot, assuming that Washington will be remain in the top four. Um, however, now there's going to be a, a little bit more, uh, I think a lot more USC fans will be intrigued by that game tomorrow because of that. So there's going to be a lot more interest in that Pac-12 championship game for USC fans and, and people across the country just to see, you know, if Washington can stay in that top four and, and if not, does Michigan move in? Then you have two Big Ten teams that neither one of them even made the conference championship and you're going to have both of those in the, in the playoff? I don't know. It, it makes it really fun this time of year and always a, a great discussion, which is, which is why you, uh, you will always, why college football will always be great because there's always going to be an argument, always going to be a discussion at the end of the year, who belongs where in one game. 
And it doesn't matter if you make it an 18 playoff. doesn't matter if you make it a 16-team playoff. Whatever it does, you're still going to have people arguing about those last couple teams in. For example, you know, I, I have proposed my idea of, of the best thing is the Power Five, if you win your conference, you're automatically you get an automatic bid. And then you have two at-large teams, and you have a third at-large non-Power Five and have an 18 playoff. I would love to see that. However, if you do that, I was thinking about it the other day, if you do that, who are the two at-large teams going to be? Do you move USD up into that mix, or are, are they one of the top eight teams? Um, but if you do that, then you're going to have Ohio State and Michigan. One of them cannot make it in. So you're going to run into the same dilemma every single year, and it doesn't matter how many teams. You look at the NCAA basketball tournament, 68 teams get in, and there's still people arguing on that final day about who should be in and who shouldn't be in. It's what makes college sports so great, I think. It does. There's so much controversy. Um, I'm kind of – I'm. For whatever reason, my gut feeling says USC is going to get into the Rose Bowl, and uh, I, you know, I wrote that about that too. We both wrote stories about the, um, you know, the implications of the the new playoff rankings, and uh, I get that you know Oklahoma, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State play each other, but we've seen moves happen. I mean, Utah moved up after losing, right? So I mean, the the committee can pretty much do anything. So, uh, you know, how much do you punish? I, I get the people that say. You don't punish a team for losing in the conference championship game because that's a game that wasn't scheduled. But I don't think you can ignore mm-hmm. it either. And once it falls down to both teams having three losses and USC won head to head, I think that's that's what I think is going to trump everything. But you know, who knows? We just don't know what the committee is going to do. And and the thing is, the committee changes every year. You know, Pat Hayden was on the committee previously. He's not on there. You you got people moving in and out. If you look back at the Baylor TCU situation and people being punished for their non-conference schedule. That's not necessarily the case anymore. I mean, you look at Michigan, they're still up there with two losses. They've won one game outside the state of Michigan, and that was at Rutgers, who might be one of the worst five college football programs in uh, the FBS uh, um, division right now. So, you know, what have they really done to prove themselves? Hey, they, you know, they beat a couple Big Ten teams at home. Yeah, so, so did everyone else. But, you know, it, would they, can they match up with Alabama? You know, you put that extra, the USC-Alabama game, the first game of the season, take that away, and USC's in the top, you know, in the mix right there for, for one of those spots. So there's a lot of different things that go on and, and changes every single year. You're going to see different committee members and what they value is going to be a little bit different. And you're going to see that, you know, what is important two years ago, that non-conference schedule, isn't important now. I mean, look at Oklahoma. If they don't schedule Houston and um, and Ohio State, they're in the top four right now. They're going to be if they played Idaho and uh, the school of the deaf and the blind, and like some teams do, then they would be sitting with a perfect record. You're not even a perfect Oklahoma team, an undefeated Oklahoma team, out of the playoff. But instead, they scheduled hard in the non-conference and it, they got killed by it. Yeah, true. It's uh, there's no right answer when there's four. You know, you have four, five power conferences and only four teams. That's just a that's a bad math formula to start with, and now it's just going to get crazy. So. Um, all right. So a lot of different topics. I thought we'd just jump into some of these questions and, uh, they're kind of all over the place, just stuff about the team. So we'll jump in there and uh, get your thoughts on them. First one is from our buddy Percy. He's talking about Dominique Davis. He says, if he's so fast, why don't the coaches try to use his strength in other ways? It's a shame to have that type of weapon standing on the sideline. Well, I think Dominic Davis is going to be a return guy, you know, that once the Dory is gone, he's a guy that can step in and be another dynamic returner, you know, both punts and kickoffs. The problem with Dominic Davis is even though he, his straight line speed is great, um, is once he gets touched, 
you know, he he's liable to go down. And a lot of times when he gets hit in practice or in the couple times when he's been in the game, when you get a good shove, he goes flying. And, you know, sometimes that the ball can go with it. Um, and he hasn't been a guy that's been fumbling a lot. But, you know, when you're a smaller guy, you take those hits. There's just those extra opportunities for, for injury and also for, for turnovers in that regard. So I think that's why you haven't seen him do a lot in the backfield. And a couple times that he's got in, he's, he's done some things, some nice things. But he has to have a hole to be a running back. Um, so he's not a guy that's going to break a bunch of tackles in the backfield, which has needed to be uh, the case a lot of times for, for some of the zone blocking schemes. you got to make that first guy miss in the backfield. So do they try in a slot receiver? I mean, we, we've seen that he's caught a couple balls out of the backfield. We've seen him be lined up outside a couple times in the last couple weeks. But I don't know that he is a better slot receiver than Deontay Burnett or even Stephen Mitchell when he's healthy. So are you going to push him above these other guys just because he's fast? I mean, because you have to you have to do more than just be fast. You got to be able to catch the ball. You got to be able to create separation. Front line. I mean, just straight ahead speed is, is a, a great uh, ability to have. However, it's not the only thing. All right, uh, good stuff there. For, thanks, Percy, for that. Trojan Wally in Seattle. Hopefully, you got to go to the Washington game, Trojan Wally. Um, he said, "I was sad, or I will be sad." Uh, to see Adoree Jackson leave for the draft, I've seen uh, Iman Marshall improve every game, and the other corner, Jana Harris, come on strong. How do we look next year in the defensive backfield, considering we lose Adoree, Leon McQuay, and maybe Chris Hawkins? Love the show. Fight on. Uh, that's Trojan Wally. I mean, the, we're all going to be sad to see Adoree go, not just because he's a great player, but he's, he's a great interview. He's, you know, he's always having fun, so... We're obviously going to be uh, disappointed and sad to see uh, Adoree go when he does. You know, maybe he stays for another year. You know, I, I think it's highly unlikely, but, he, you know, he has intimated that he would like to stay, whether the people around him, you know, how that decision comes about, whether it's just his pick or, you know, if it's a family decision or a family and some agent gets in his ear, you know, whatever it may be, uh, there's always more than just the, the individual when it comes to those decisions being made. There's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, but looking at, looking forward at the team, I mean, you think Jack Jones is going to be able to step in next year and be able to play? You know, they've gotten a lot more confidence in him. You know, as the season has progressed, and you know, he's getting some of those uh, real live game reps, not just some garbage time. He's got in there a couple times when you know Dory's been nicked up or Emon's been nicked up, or you know, they just want to give one of the guys a break for you know. Sometimes they get a break after they make a mistake. Uh, it seems to be the case. Uh, but, you know, he's been stepping in there and he, he, you know, you haven't seen any mistakes out of him. You know, he's made a couple plays on the ball and different things. And he would have had his first career touchdown last game if the referees uh, didn't blow the whistle dead. And, you know, part of that was probably because they were down one referee, but on that lateral, the Jenny Harris made a tremendous play on and, you know, give a ton of credit for the, the work that Jenna has, uh, has made and the progress that, that he's take, taken this season, the steps he's taken. Um, because this is a guy that was, was still on the offensive side coming into the spring, and look where he's at now. I mean, and a lot of his teammates credit, uh, you know, his work ethic off the field. And I, I talked with Ronnie Bradford after the game, and one of the things he said is that his notes during the week are as, are comparable to the coaching staff's notes. He just takes amazing notes. He's really into that side of, of things, you know, the film study and everything, and he talked about it with that. The pick six that he has, that he saw the concept previously and he just broke him the ball and, and knew what was going on and, and took it to the house. And you've seen how much he's progressed. And 
do they keep him in the slot or do they move him outside? You move Jack Jack inside to the slot. There's a lot of options there. You also have Jonathan Lockett coming back next year. And Jonathan Lockett has, has been really good in that nickelback spot. You never hear his name, which means he's been really good. Um, the question is going to be at the safety spot. Uh, you, you have uh, Jamel Cook should be healthy next year. You're going to have Marvell Tell there. Does Chris Hawkins come back? Does Chris Hawkins leave? If uh, if he is gone, then you know that's putting a lot of pressure on a guy who hasn't played a down on a football and Jamel Cook to to step in and be a guy right away. Do we see somebody get moved? I know a lot of people are begging and clamoring for Iman Marshall to be a safety. I think he's a cornerback. However, does that move happen? I don't think it does. But maybe uh, Jonathan Lockett moves to safety. Maybe somebody else moves moves there instead of Iman, and, and, you know, maybe that in, increases the depth there. You also have guys like, you know, C.J. Pollard and John Plattenberg that, that can step in. I mean, John Plattenberg's a guy we haven't heard much about because he had the concussion issues early in the, in the season, in the, in the preseason, and then he's, you know, slowly worked his way back, and then he's played just a little bit on special teams and stuff. He made a couple tackles uh, against Notre Dame, a couple on special teams, and I know at least one um, when he got in for the last drive defensively. Um, so does he step right back in, and is he in that safety mix? I think there's still bodies there and capable bodies. And then you, you have to see what the, the coaching staff closes with in this recruiting cycle. I mean, if you get Darnay Holmes, that's another guy that could be on the field immediately. Um, I mean, that's a five-star recruit that is going to that could follow easily in the footsteps of Jack Jones and Iman Marshall and Dory Jackson in the last three recruiting cycles where, you know, they start out, uh, you know, in a reserve role to begin the season and eventually work their way up and, and take over a starting role. And, you know, Jack Jones will still have to do that uh, upcoming. But, you know, those guys are all going to get opportunities and Darnay would be in the next to follow in that, in that same path, I think. So it, it just depends on who comes in in this recruiting cycle and, and who stays and who leaves uh, of the Summit team currently. So I think there's going to be a lot of options for the coaching staff. I think Ronnie Bradford's got a, got a great group back there and, You've seen the, the, that group taking strides. So, you know, I think that he's doing a nice job back there as well. Um, before we went on the, uh, the air to, or started recording, uh, we saw, Shaka and I saw some stuff on Twitter, but it wasn't confirmed and now it is. So I want to just mention it, uh, real quick. Um, so in Terrytown, uh, Louisiana, uh, New Orleans area, uh, former USC running back Joe McKnight was shot and killed. Uh, looks like some sort of, um, like road rage sort of thing. It was in, in the streets, uh, you know, between cars. So, uh, thoughts and prayers out to the McKnight family. If you don't remember, he was, uh, a big deal coming out to USC, Pete Carroll. It was kind of like a silent commit. He was a silent commit that, uh, no one really knew about. And, you know, we were at Rivals at the time and even the publishers from the different sites had no idea he was coming to USC. And we did, we, you know, we knew it. Pete Carroll just had him be quiet about it and he came out and, uh, you know, had a nice career at USC and went on to the NFL. Uh, but just, uh, thoughts and prayers for the Joe McKnight, Joe McKnight and his family. Yeah, definitely. I always hate to see guys, young guys, you know, go before their time, you know, really should be. And, you know, you saw it, uh, with Bryce DeJean Jones, another guy that was at USC to begin his basketball career and just made it, started making his mark in the NBA was, was killed, uh, um, I believe in Texas, uh, earlier this year. So, you know, thoughts are definitely with the family. You, you hate to see any of those situations like that. Um, yeah. So we, we, we didn't know. We just, we got a few tweets early and then now it's, um, you know, now it's been reported by local news and papers and stuff. Uh, I guess families identified, uh, 
identified him. So it's uh, 28 years old. Just terrible. Ugh. Uh, if you read the book Meat Market by our friend Bruce Feldman, uh, McKnight was a big part of that. Or, you know, a, a decent, you know, because it was some, Ed Orgeron was coaching at Old Miss and they wanted to, uh, you know, make a big splash with Joe McKnight, but just couldn't get him away from Pete Carroll. Um, all right, let's move on. Sorry about that sad note there. We just had to, you know, we're, it's real time while you're on the, the on the Twitter and, uh, you can kind of see what's going on. Uh, but we'll move on. Um, Bear Secutor wrote in shotgun. He said, who do you think will be irreplaceable next year? He says, I don't, uh, we don't really have replacements as good. Uh, it's, it's not making much sense there. He said, we don't really have replacements as good, productive. I'm not sure what he's saying there. He said, I nominate Chad Wheeler, uh, Adore Jackson, Stephen Mitchell, and Michael Hutchings. So these are guys he's saying are irreplaceable for next year. And he said, and if they leave early, Uchenna and Wusu, Damian Mama, and Viani. And he said, I'll assume Nico Fala stays at center and Toa moves to tackle. Uh, that's Bear Secure. Um, you know, the one name that immediately pops up when, when you say who's irreplaceable off this team is Stevie Tua Kolovatu. I mean, he has been such a game changer in the middle of that defense, um, in the middle of that locker room, just in the, in the middle of everything. And, you know, he's a big body, super strong, um, has, has been able to, to change the defense with his ability to take on double teams and to actually get pressure in the backfield from that nose tackle position. Um, I think, USC is going to be looking, you know, outward to see if there's any grad transfers and once again at that position, especially with, uh, the recent news that Noah Jefferson is not going to be returning. He's going to be transferring. Uh, so you, you hope Kenny Bigelow comes back and he's healthy and can be active and be, make an impact player, but I don't think that's a guy you can count on and, and expect to, you know, and make immediate contributions coming off his second knee injury, uh, like he is. So you're looking at other guys in the middle like Jacob Daniel and Kevin Scott and guys that, you know, are going to have to, you know, take those steps and step up this year. And one of the things is we've been really impressed, or at least I have been really impressed, with the job that Kenichi Udezi has done with that defensive line. It's supposed to be a big question mark coming into the season, and that, that group has done really well this season. Christian Rector has made really nice strides and has kind of taken over that backup role behind Rasheem Green. And Rasheem Green has turned into – you know, an all-conference caliber player, and I think you'll see, you know, him be on those watch lists and stuff next year and, and be in consideration for that. Um, even though he didn't get it this year, you know, it was just by, you know, his second half of the season was definitely all Pac-12 worthy. Uh, it's just the first half of the season he didn't have that production quite yet. So I think that group has done really well, but I think Stevie Tui-Kolovatu is, is a definite irreplaceable guy. Some of those other guys you mentioned, the Chad Wheelers, the Zach Banners, you know, the, the tackles, you know, uh, Chuma Adoga is going to have to take over one of those spots and they hope him to get him straightened out and getting him, you know, really being productive there. Uh, the offensive line, though, you know, there's a lot of talent in those backup spots. Guys like Clayton Johnson and, and Chris Brown and, and guys that, you know, got a little playing time earlier in the season. You know, there's, there's a lot of potential there. And USC could, could bring in a great uh, offensive line class uh, this year as well. So, you know, maybe one of those, if, if they get one of those top end five star guys, maybe they can, uh, can uh, battle for uh, a spot going into next season. Stephen Mitchell, I think Deontay Burnett's already doing a great job in that slot position. Just hope to get Stephen Mitchell back fully healthy. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other names. Uh, Michael Hutchings. I mean, Cam Smith will step in uh, and, and be the actual Mike and make all the calls next season. 
I think you'll have to see, you know, someone like Jordan Iacepa they really like. I think he can, you know, be a player next year. You know, there's somebody, some one of those younger guys should be able to step up in that spot. Adore is just going to be replaceable because of his, you know, his, his big personality, his big smile, uh, besides everything he does on the field. I, I think, you know, he's such a dynamic player, but each of the individual things he does can be replaced in, in, an, in an effect. Um, maybe not quite as good as him, but, you know, you'll have players fill in at cornerback and returner and different things like that. So I don't think he's irreplaceable in that regard. He's just such a, uh, a great guy in the locker room. I think that's kind of irreplaceable. But the one guy that stands out to me is definitely uh, in the trenches is Stevie Tuikolabatu. You know, I think he probably meant Stevie because uh, Stephen Mitchell is not a senior. He wrote Stephen, um, but I, he probably meant Stevie T. So, hey, proofread your stuff, <laughs> okay. everybody. Send them in. Like, you're spelling names wrong, and, you know, <laughs> incomplete sentences. I got to read this stuff. So, you know, give me something good here. Uh, okay. Eric and Duck Country. He said, are there any players who saw playing time that you think should have redshirted instead? Also, are there any players who redshirted that you think uh, should have seen the field? Thanks for everything. Fingers crossed for the Rose Bowl, Eric, in Duck Country. I mean, the one player that me who stands out is Oluwala Badiku. Um, I don't think the rest that he's got this season have been you know, significant enough to burn that redshirt. And maybe he's a guy that even if he registered maybe similar to Sam Darnold, even though he registered last year, he could be still an early entry into the NFL. So what it doesn't wouldn't have really mattered um, because he wasn't ready uh, last year. So it wouldn't matter if you played him because he's not going to use that year of eligibility. But so maybe Batuku, you know, blows up and becomes that. However, you know, I just I don't think I, I, I'm trying to pull up the the snap count right now. My internet's not working, but off the top of my head, I think he's played you know 30 to 40 snaps at, at most. Um, on defense this year, so is that really worth you know throwing him in there and using that red shirt? I don't, I don't necessarily think so. Are there any guys that that should have that did red shirt and shouldn't have? I think they all could use that extra year. I don't think anybody's really you know been a huge eye opener in practice that that you're not getting production at some other spot. I mean, there's five freshman receivers, and Michael Pittman is the only one that is uh, is participating this season. I mean, Tyler Vaughn, it looks like he can be a dude. And, you know, some of those uh, those other guys appear to be, you know, guys that can step in next year and have maybe have an impact. However, you know, they weren't going to get playing time, so they're really this season. I don't think they would out, have outperformed even Daquan Hampton and Isaac Whitney, who are guys that maybe they should have redshirted last year and, you know, had an opportunity to play next year when, when Juju Smith-Schuster and Darius Rogers are, are gone. Uh you know, those those are the ones that that you kind of question then, uh, rather than any of the guys that are on the bench right now. We uh, we had a question yesterday, shotgun for Dan Weber's show, and uh, the I forget who I'm sorry, I apologize, I forget who wrote in, uh, but he said, you know, he talked about uh, Wally coming in. Uh, why did he play? He didn't have any tackles the whole year. He has no defensive stats whatsoever. Uh, even Sam Darnold has two tackles, so it's kind of he was like, "Why is he? Why did he play if he didn't even have a single tackle?" I mean, he is getting experience. I will give him that. He's got a couple pass rushes. He nearly at the in the Arizona game, he uh, he almost uh, recovered a fumble, you know, on a poor snap. And so he's definitely getting to see what that game action is like. However, um, I, I just don't think that you know it was worth it. He has. I believe 36 snaps coming in into the Notre Dame game. He did get some snaps in, in that game. So um, he, he'll probably, at most, I think he has 45 for the season. And even if he you know, plays, if he were to start the, 
the bowl game, you know, that's still you're getting around 100 snaps. Is 100 snaps worth that, that year of eligibility? If you think the guy's actually going to be on campus, you know, all four years, then I don't think it, that it's uh, worth uh, that. All right, let's move on. We got uh, Marcel and Diamond Bar. Uh, his first one is, why were ACC officials used during a USC home game? And that's basically because of Notre Dame. Um, when USC, yep. yeah, when USC goes to South Bend, they'll bring Pac-12 officials, which isn't good. But, um, yeah, that, I haven't heard it. I haven't got an update on, uh, Ron Cherry. Did you hear anything about that? He had to go to the hospital after. I, I was wondering about that yesterday, actually, but I had not looked up to see if I could find anything that, uh, that was conclusive on how he was doing. Yeah. He's, uh, he's the, probably the most famous. He's like the glasses ref of the ACC, the most famous ref because. <laughs> Uh, he's got the one that said, you know, he called a penalty is like called it giving him the business. So, and it just was like a internet sensation. So I think there's a whole website like dedicated to him. And I think it's not flattering to be honest. I don't, I didn't look at it, but I think Dan was talking about that, but, uh, he took a back, you know, big hit in the face for, with a, you know, face mask from Michael Hutchins. So hopefully he's okay. Um, yeah, that would not look like it felt too good. No, that was, <laughs> you do not want to be there. Uh, his last one, I said, additionally, how hard is it to retain coaches who are under contract from being pursued by other schools? Is that an issue as well as recruiting? Um, I'll jump in real quick and you get your shotgun. If you sign, if a player signs with a school, that's more of a contract. If a coach has a contract with a school, that's like written on tissue paper, uh, drop it in the toilet. It doesn't really matter. Like if so, you know, you can, those things get ripped up all the time. If someone's offering more money, there's buyouts, there's whatever. You could put clauses in there to try to prevent certain things, but assistant coaches can, you know, if, if someone comes along and wants to pay more for an assistant coach, they're probably going to go. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of assistant coaches are on one-year, two-year contracts, so it's a very year-to-year um, type of, of deal because they know that, you know, assistant coach is not an end job for most people, so they want to move up the ranks, whether they be, you know, a position coach now they want to be a coordinator in, in the future and then you know some guys don't want the head coaching responsibility so some guys like to, to stick at that coordinator spot however you know that's the next step if you if that is indeed your uh desire however nobody's like hey i really want to be a defensive backs coach and that's it i don't want to ever be a coordinator or a head coach i just want to be a defensive backs coach that that doesn't happen so your position coaches you know if they do really well and the guys on the team do really well then usually there's going to be some interest um, and you know, it becomes a, a money thing, just like you said, uh, you know, who can pay more and, and where's the best fit for someone. Yeah. But just the, the thing that is, there's not like ironclad contracts where T Martin yeah. signed for two years with USC. There's no way he can go anywhere. Like that doesn't matter. Like if you're, if you're a, you know, a student and you're, you know, you're Sam Darnold and you wanted to leave, you could transfer, but you'd sit out of you. There's all these rules. Like there's no rules like that for, it's just like a regular job, you know? So that's. Don't don't think of recruiting yeah. and coaches as the same sort of contract. That's completely different. <laughs> yeah, just put in your two weeks and you're out. Yeah. <laughs> um, Neil in Manila. Now, I'm not sure I understand the scenario if this would happen, but we can talk about the bowl thing a little bit more. He said, if Washington wins the Pac-12 championship but gets jumped by Wisconsin if they big, win the Big Ten, I don't think that's happening, but he said Michigan will probably be in the Rose Bowl against Washington and Penn State will go to the Orange Bowl. Is USC projected to go to the Cotton Bowl in that scenario? How good are the chances of USC playing in a New Year Six Bowl? Thanks and fight on, Neil in Manila. I honestly have not gotten that far into the bowl uh, 
situation because I don't think that it will uh, is plausible to happen because Wisconsin has two losses, um, so they're not going to jump over a Washington in that regard. I don't think. Um, you mean maybe they'll be the best of the two two loss group ahead of Michigan, and then if Clemson loses, maybe then Wisconsin gets in. However, I don't think that the Washington with a win is going to fall out. Because just because of the losses, and that's all that it, that it seems the playoff committee is counting. They're counting the losses. You have one loss, and okay, you're you can be in the one loss group, but you're not going to be you know falling behind two loss teams. Yeah, that, so I definitely don't think that would happen. Um, there, I think there's still some sort of outside chance for the Cotton Bowl. The Cotton Bowl, from what I understand, is the last they select last, so they're going to have basically Western Michigan. They're going to have the group of five team uh, that gets in. And they'd all, they also have another free selection. So it's not like a conference tie-in. So I think, I, I, I think at that point, when you come down to it, there's probably one of the, the Big Ten teams would get in ahead of USC. Um, the best chance for, you know, the bigger bowl would be going to the Rose Bowl by far. I think there's still some sort of outside chance that it could be a Cotton Bowl thing, but it's, yeah, they, the Cotton Bowl does select last. Um, I'd like shotgun. I haven't dug into it too much. Um, but yeah, the Rose Bowl is pretty much the big one there. Let's see. We have, this is Andrew who said, I love the podcast and the work you guys all do. I uh, definitely uh, makes my time stuck in LA traffic significantly more entertaining. Well, I'm glad for that. Andrew, thank you. He said, do you think that this season could possibly serve as a wake up call to the PAC 12 in terms of forcing teams to play nine conference games instead of eight, uh, like the SEC and ACC of Utah? Um, I'm sorry. If Utah would have won on Saturday, it would have gone undefeated against South Division teams, yet it wouldn't have made the championship game. As USC fans, this is obviously great for us. Um, but if the situation was flipped, I would be furious. The Pac-12 is notorious for being unpredictable week to week and cannibalizing itself, especially in the South Division. It can only hurt the conference in the national eye by adding a potential extra loss to its top teams. Larry Scott is obviously obsessed with ratings and rankings. So more out-of-conference games could open the door to more opportunities like USC playing Alabama, Texas, BYU, and other non-conference teams on primetime national television. you think uh, the way this season has played out could change his mind? Thanks, fight on, from Andrew. I don't think so, and I don't think that he's obsessed with the ratings and rankings because you look at the Pac-12 network ratings, and they're not very good, and yet they continue to put a lot of content on that network um, and hope to get subscriptions and yet have not made a deal with uh, other networks to, to get it into TV homes where everyone can see their Pac-12 team. So I don't think he's obsessed with that. I think it's more of a money thing that he might be obsessed with as the commissioner. So, you know, I haven't, I personally don't do, delve into it as much as, as Dan Weber does, all the conference going on and the behind-the-scenes stuff like that. But I don't think Larry Scott's done a great job. And uh, I think uh, most of us can can agree on that that factor. Yeah, I agree too. Um, I don't think he's obsessed with the ratings and the rankings. He wanted to sign. We'll have some war room stuff on this actually about the Pac-12 network and stuff. But you know, he wanted to get that two billion number. But the Pac-12 is in a horrible, horrible, horrible television contract. When you have two hated, like basically, the Pac-12 offered up a deal that was so bad they got Coke and Pepsi to work together. Fox and ESPN are working together on this deal. That's why you have it on Saturday, you know, the Pac-12 championship games on Friday, one year, Saturday, the next year, back and forth. They got Fox and ESPN to be able to work together because this deal was so bad that they signed. So it's a long-term deal. USC and, and the Pac-12 continue to fall further and further behind. Um, no, I don't see that happening. 
I think it's uh, they're trying to make everybody happy. Uh, they don't want to reduce the number of games because you know if Oregon State wants to recruit Los Angeles, they want to be able to play USC or UCLA. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons they want to try to do that. I think you it would be better for other conferences to go with an eight, uh, you know, nine game conference schedule. You don't see that in the SEC. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you see an SEC team make a bowl game at six and six and they were two and six in conference. They go four and oh out of conference, two and six in conference, and they make a bowl game. And you're like, what? Like, it just doesn't make much sense. But, um, uh, I don't being see that. Georgia, being from Georgia, we typically call that the Kentucky special. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I, I agree with Shotgun. I don't see that changing. Let's see. Uh, Let's see. Okay. Lamar from the desert. He said, hello, Trojan fans. Uh, happy holidays to you all. First, looking back on the current season, the national media conversations about who are the best teams reflect on SC as a top three team nationally. Um, I think, I think some pundits have said that, but it's, it's mostly the Vegas rankings. USC's ranked behind Alabama and Ohio State in the Vegas ones, who they'd be favored against. Because here's my breakdown of next season. The team will need to have adequate bookend replacements at both tackle positions and will need to continue to develop depth on the defensive line and may need to utilize a zone defense if they lose the corners to cover up a young secondary. The two uh, opponents on the schedule, uh, the two top opponents on the schedule look to be Texas due to talent and system and Stanford because of uh, David Shaw's approach and Utah. Fight on Lamar in the desert. Um, I would say that Washington's going to be a good team next year. Yeah. Uh, depending on the coach at Oregon, I think there's some talent there. So I think, you know, that team could be surprise bounce back next year. Um, I think, I don't think Texas is, is one of the top teams. I mean, you're going to have a first year coach. So, though I do think there is some talent there. Charlie Strong left a lot of talent, uh, and got rid of a lot of bad apples, um, um, with his thing. And, you know, if he get, had another year or two, I think maybe he does a really good job there. But, you know, in the state of Texas, that you don't have, you don't have more than three years to kind of make your mark. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see you know, what uh, other teams, how they transpire. And, I mean, there's, the, you know, the coaching searches and stuff are still going to go on for places like Oregon. So it'll be interesting to see how that does. And we really won't know about this USC team until, at least until we find out who all is going to leave and then what kind of replacements USC is going to try to find, whether it be through the grad transfer ranks or just through National Signing Day, what kind of guys they can bring in then. I think by February, maybe you'll have an idea of the team, but then you still won't know because if they get the graduate transfer, the caliber of Stevie Tuikalavatu, then, you know, that changes the whole entire front of that defense uh, this year. So, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of things that are unknown about this USC football team in 2017. Let's, uh, I got a voicemail question. Let me play that for you, Shotgun. All right. Hello, Ryan, coach. Hyde and Dan, this is Ed Duncan up in the high desert. Well, I want to congratulate our football team and the coaching staff. What a great job they've done. It's been years and years since I've seen a USC team coach this well, and I really want to commend them. Uh, I've got a little different opinion on the quarterback. I don't think they need to do anything with Sam. Just allow him to continue to develop. He's got God-given talents that you can't coach. And we don't want to start trying to change him and get him to do this and do that. Let him just develop and pray that he doesn't get hurt. They'd be a different team without him. 
And uh, I'd like to also make a statement to the players that are juniors. Please stay in school and get your degree. Don't go into the NFL dependent putting all your marbles in one basket. Stay in school. Lastly, remember last year's Holiday Bowl. Be prepared this year. Prepare, prepare, prepare. Fight on, men of Troy. We're so proud of you. I'm not exactly certain on what they want to change on Sam Darnold um, to, in regard to that question. I think he's doing a great job, and, and you know, he's going to develop. He, he's a guy that is going to continue to make strides. He's made some mistakes this year, obviously, and you think that you'll see you know, those progressions where you won't see uh, the fumbles. You know, he's already kind of cut those out since the beginning of uh, one taking over. You'll see that, you know, some of the interceptions he's thrown, like the one in Washington where he threw it to kind of the, you know, in the uh, seat of uh, Washington defenders. You think those will be cleaned up. And those are, those are the strides you want to see a guy going from his first year starting to a second year. Um, referring to the juniors, you know, some of those guys will already have their degrees. And that's one of the great things that USC is doing you know, when they're recruiting, that's one of the, one of the recruiting pitches is, hey, we want you guys to go to the NFL. We want you to leave early. We want you to do it with a degree. So they come in early, early enrollees, and then, you know, they try to get them, uh, you know, as many summer classes as possible and, and get work towards that degree in three years if possible. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Ed. Let's see. We got a couple more for you, Shotgun, and we'll let you go. Um, we had, actually, Tark wrote in, this was a while back. He wanted to know who at this point was redshirting, but obviously the season's essentially over now. Um, so we, we pretty much know everyone that's redshirted, right? There's a, you know, that's just, uh, basically if you played, you're not redshirting. <laughs> yeah. Basically, if you, if you played this season and you're not Toa Lobanon, then you're redshirting. Okay. Because, uh, I mean, you're not redshirting because Toa Lobanon did not play the requisite, uh, amount of time to not be, so uh, to not be eligible for a hardship waiver, which he will likely be, so he'll get a medical redshirt for this season because he didn't play 30% of the season. However, the rest of the freshmen, if they have played, then they are not going to be redshirting. If they haven't played, then they are redshirting. And if you check out any of Shotgun's participation charts, he shows everybody in there and stuff. So I think his Internet's down, so we're not going to pull all those guys up, but you can get a good idea. Um <laughs> We have uh, Alan. He said, love all the great work you guys do at uscfootball.com. As an alum and lifetime tro- lifelong Trojan fan, your site is the best in the business. Well, thank you for that, Alan. He said, I have two questions. One, uh, Coach Kennedy Palomalu has been released from the Bruin football team. Is there any place you can think of at USC to bring him back? Would he come back as a recruiting coordinator? That would free up our position coaches to concentrate more on actual coaching instead of recruiting. I mean, if, if he wanted to come back as a recruiting coordinator, that'd be great. You know, that's a great position. However, how many coaches really want to say, I just got fired from an offense coordinator position. Let me go be a recruiting coordinator where I don't even get to coach the players. You're not going to see many coaches that are willing to take, you know, that big of a demotion, um, to go across town, particularly to, you know, a, a school he's been before and kind of rework his way up the, the, you know, the totem pole. You know, he's going to, a coach that's probably going to look for a position coach somewhere. And, you know, if USC has an opening, maybe that, that's somewhere they look. However, you know, I don't think that, uh, you know, that's a necessarily a guy that they have to go and try to find a spot for. And as a recruiting coordinator, you're an assistant coach. You're one of the nine assistant coaches. So he would have to coach a position too. The recruiting coordinator is not like a separate job. 
it's like you're a recruiting coordinator and defensive line coach or whatever. There's no obviously no, well, you know. Well, it depends on how the you know by title of recruiting coordinator. Yes, however, if they give him a Austin Thomas LSU, um, you know, and title of GM of the program or whatever it may be, the CEO. I can't remember exactly how they phrase it, but you know, if they give him one of those titles, then he could be you know a recruiting yeah. coordinator, you know, behind the scenes, which is what I was referring to uh, in my answer. However, yeah, you're gonna have to move somebody else out of the way to give him a recruiting coordinator. Um, position coach position, and I don't think that Clay Helton is the type of guy that would do that. I mean, if he, you know, had faults with someone on the staff, then maybe he does that. But I think, uh, you know, the way the staff has come together and the team has come together, I don't see that him pushing anyone out of the way. Now, maybe someone else takes a, a job offer elsewhere, but I don't think it's going to be uh, forced by Clay Helton. Yeah, and it's, you know, he could be like what Sark is with Alabama, like an offensive analyst, or he could do something like that. People have asked me about that on Twitter and stuff, and I'm like, I just don't see that happening. And like, well, Sark did it. He was a head coach. I'm like, yeah, but Sark was suing the school. Like, there's a reason why Sark isn't coaching right now. Um, you know, Kenny Palomalo was fired, but I'm sure he could get a job somewhere. He doesn't have to go be a I can't coach players on the field position. That's basically what all those other things are. Like, you're you're part of like the behind the scenes staff, but you're not you're not really an assistant coach. Um, He's, you know, fired at the end of the season. He's got plenty of time to look for a job. So I don't think, I don't think he's going to end up in a role like that at USC. Um, maybe, you know, maybe there's an opening like Shotgun said and, and Clay Helton would fill it with someone like Kenny Palomalo. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't see him like jettisoning someone, uh, for that specifically. And he said, yeah. which of the draft eligible third year players are likely to leave besides Juju and Adori? Thanks for fight on Allen. He's 1977 Trojan on the Peristyle. Um, I mean, we've heard some rumors about Damian Mama wanting to, to potentially, you know, test the waters there. Um, I don't, some people have said Uchenna Nwosu. I don't think he's quite ready. I mean, he's made such strides in this first year that, you know, to, to even have that thought is great from where he was last year. However, I don't think he, he's quite ready to make that jump either. I think another year would really suit him well. Um, so, you know, the only other guys are, are guys that are more likely to grad transfer than actually leave for the NFL draft. I don't think Chris Hawkins is ready to go to the NFL draft. However, you know, if he, he thinks he can get better playing time somewhere else, then maybe he decides that he wants to, to uh, be a grad transfer or something like that. So I think Damian Mama's your, your only big uh, concern in that regard. Um, you know, it just depends on, on what guys are hearing and who's kind of in people's ears because you see it every year. You see it with the basketball team last year. If the right person gets in somebody's ear, then, you know, they can, you know, be told that, hey, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and you're, you're going to be able to go straight to the league or whatever it may be. And that may not be the case. So uh, that's why you've seen some guys that have been undrafted and have to work their way up. So I, I think Damian Mama is the only other guy that will, will consider it off the top of my head. However, you know, I don't even know if it, it, it would be a great idea for him to do that. I think he, he's got a lot of things that he could still improve on as well. Uh, Steven wrote in, he said, I don't mean to wet, be a wet blanket, but the thought has nagged me. Is Sam Darnold basically covering up for a coaching staff that was lost early in the season? Clancy has done a great job of turning the defense around, which I never doubted, but that has been, uh, that has been assisted, uh, by the newfound offense. Uh, same can be said, excuse me, same can be asked about the offensive line and the running game. Enjoy the turnaround, but, uh, remains a concern if it's, uh, largely due to one player, Steven. 
Well, he brought up that also the running game and the offensive line has improved, so you can't say it's one player and then also bring in other positions. I mean, it, are you going to say that multiple positions have improved because of players have suddenly started have found themselves? Or are you going to say, hey, the coaching has led them to improve? I mean, a lot of times it takes a little while with a new position coach to uh, you know get those results and to see that improvement. And I think you definitely saw that with the offensive line. I think that's been the biggest area of improvement on this team. And of course, Sam, uh, you know, he covers up some things for the offensive line. You know, he can avoid a rusher at times, and you know, uh, and make a play last a little bit longer, and, and you know, then find an open receiver and do some special things in that regard. No, there's no doubt about that. However, you know, I think that saying that it's only him is kind of, you know, doing a disservice and not giving credit to, you know, a lot of the the other players and the coaches that are doing a really good job and have shown improvements this season. So, you know, I think it's more than just a Sam Darnold show, but it's really fun to watch that Sam Darnold show as well. It is pretty fun (laughs) to watch that. Um, Do you have to, we had a couple of quick ones. I don't know. Do you, do you need to get going shotgun or? Good. I can get a couple quick more. Okay, cool. Um, David behind the orange curtain would probably, this is probably going to be for a long term. Uh, he wanted to know, uh, what the stats are for the, when USC hurries up on first down. Um, he said watching the transition to first down after big play, it doesn't look, it didn't look successful. And this was, this from a little earlier in the year, but I know this is something we talked about. So I don't know if you charted this at all in your, uh, just your, your charts or not. I charted it for a couple games where it kind of there was some question marks going on. However, you know, I, I've seen a lot of times where it has been successful, where they hurry up to the line, and a lot of times they're running the same play, so they just want to hurry up on a, a – they pick up nine yards. So on second and one, they want to run that same running play and, and go ahead and pick up the first down. And they've done that several times. Um, and it, you kind of don't notice it a lot because, you know, they're picking up four yards on that next play. They're not necessarily going for the 60-yard Rojo touchdown. However, they're picking up a first down, so it's an important um, important choice to, to make because you're still you know, gaining that first down, you're gaining that new set of downs. However, it doesn't always have a big impact. And at the beginning of the season, it was always a negative impact, which is why it kind of stood out to everyone and why we kind of noted it and why we looked at it a couple of games. And it was like, well, why are you really doing this? Because a lot of times you had some false starts and some different things. However, you've seen the, the cohesion of the line has uh, led to, you know, better plays on that in that regard as well. So you, you see those guys hurry up the line, pick up, you know, three, four yards, pick up that first down, then move on to the to the next part of the drive. And then uh, Big Nick, our buddy on, on the P, Big Nick 21 USC, um, he wanted to know about uh, some basketball stuff. So if there was an, an update on recruiting for Chuck O'Bannon or Billy Preston, um, and then some of the latest injury status. And he said, fight on, love what you guys do covering all USC sports. For uh, for injury updates, uh, Benny Boatwright, the big injury uh, yesterday, he's going to have a, an MRI today, and they're hoping to get back the results. They're hoping it's a sprain. It doesn't look like it's likely to be that. Um, unfortunately, it looked like it was something more serious than that. So we'll hear more about that in the next 24 hours. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, as far as Billy Preston, he committed to Kansas. Chuck O'Bannon, USC, still working hard on him. Uh, so I think they're going to pull in another uh, decent class, but it's still going to uh, be a wait-and-see progress. 
All right. Well, Shaka does a great job covering the basketball team, too, so make sure you check out the site. I know he's got to get to uh, one of his many other jobs. So thanks uh, com- for coming on, Shaka, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Sorry that I'm I'm in the midst of uh, traversing to work right now. <laughs> so all the background noise you're hearing is uh, is lovely downtown L.A. No problem. All right. Well, that's Shotgun Spratling. Follow him on Twitter at ShotgunSPR. I'm Ryan Abraham at Inside Troy. Hope you guys enjoyed all of the various podcasts we did this week, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 